So <clears throat> a, couple of, uh, a couple of things just by way of announcement, I guess. Uh, the first thing is uh, our church is old enough now to have some traditions. Uh, we're six years old. This Well, it would have been November 1st was the very first service uh, of the church six years ago. So our church is six years old now, uh, which is really cool. Uh, I love that. We didn't get a chance. Yeah, it's really great. Like it's, you know, I think it's one of those like, Again, like it just displays the, the faithfulness and the goodness uh, of God. Like he has truly been, been faithful in seeing a church come to fruition here in Moikulin in a place where, where aside from that, I mean, obviously we have, we have the Catholic church down the road, but there was, there was no other church in, in the area. And so I think it's, it's, it really is, uh, I don't know, it's just a testament to the, to the faithfulness of God. I, I look out and I'm amazed that, that, uh, that there's a church, church here. So yeah, six years ago, that happened last year. We didn't get to celebrate the five years. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to mention that. But I said, like, we're old enough to have traditions. And one of the traditions that we've kind of fallen into, sort of by accident, but sort of by not, is that every November, we walk through a minor prophet. Now, the minor prophets are called the minor prophets, not because they're insignificant, but because they're short. And so it makes for, for a way to go through a minor prophet. Every, every November, we can walk through pretty much an entire book uh, of, of the Bible going through these, these minor prophets. The problem with the minor prophets is they're deeply convicting. <laughs> and they're deeply uncomfortable. They're difficult. And so it's one of those, I feel like every, every November, it ends up being like, all right, everybody, get ready, you know, buckle up because uh, we're, we're in for it. And, and that's I, Habakkuk, 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 you know, like, I'm going to say it probably different every time. Like, the Hebrew, it's like a, a kook, but I think I sound weird trying to say, you know, like, talking. It's like somebody trying to say something in an Italian accent as well. You know, it just sounds ridiculous when all of a sudden. So I'll probably just say Habakkuk, even though it's, I guess, not technically right. Um, but if you want to say Habakkuk, then by all means, uh, work away. Uh, so... So here's how I view kind of our November series. When uh, Alyssa and I went to Taiwan here quite a few, many years ago now, um, the people that we were with were like, here's what we need to do. We need to go and we need to get uh, like a deep tissue massage. Like this is like a thing they do in Taiwan. It's amazing. You need to go and get this. What they didn't describe to me was the pain that I would feel getting this deep tissue massage. Like, I remember, like, I laid down on this, like, bed, you know, like, like you do when you're getting a massage. And this man, like, this smallish man comes in and he just cracks his knuckles. And, like, that should have been, like, warning sign number one, right? And then he proceeds to start, like, rubbing on my back. And at first, you know, it's, like, oh, a little uncomfortable. And, like, I actually hear the person in the other room going, you know, and I was like, oh, no. You know, and then about that time, there he goes. He just starts pressing into my back, you know. Next thing I know, he's literally up on the table with his elbow in my back, putting all of his weight on there, just rubbing. And I was, it was like tears, like literal tears, like coming out my eyes. But, you know, I'm like trying to be tough, you know, as I'm just like, you know, like, you know, like grunting and bearing it. And it was awful. It hurt. But you know what, like after it was over and I walked out, I was like, I feel great. My back feels wonderful. And I think like the minor prophets, if we let them, that's what they do for us. Guys, I'm not going to say the next four weeks is going to be the most fun sermon series we've ever done. It's not. If this is like your first week here, our sermons are not normally this depressing. Okay. Um, but like, we're like, honestly, here's the thing. I think we live in a culture that is so focused on positivity and thinking positive that sometimes 
as a church even, maybe we're guilty of being unwilling to actually look at the dark side of life and say, there are things that happen in this life that are terrible. There are times where we find ourselves questioning God and we don't want to talk about it with other people, but we know we've been there. You've had those moments like Habakkuk, like we've read, like, we, like Sam just read for us, where you're going, God, why? How long is this going to last? Why is it happening? We've all been there. And so I think one of the things that we need to recapture, that God understood that we needed, that God has made grace for and a place for, is lament. That ability to come before God and say, why? And not just to do it privately, but I think God gave us each other for a reason. We can do it together. Lament is an important thing. So whatever you're going through in, in your life, I don't, I don't totally know what everybody is going through in their lives. If you guys are in a season, you may be able to relate to this book deeply. And I, and I think it'll be helpful, like that deep tissue massage. It's a seriously heavy but important book. And so one of the things I, I want you want to do is I want to encourage you. Like this book is short. Okay, and if you look like if you open up to your Bible, like, I don't know, like, about, again, how many people like have read, you know, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, so I'm not going to ask you if you've ever read the book, but like, how many of you have honestly done like a deep study of the book of Habakkuk? I, I'm going to guess there's no hands are, are going to go up, right? Because it, I mean, I think if I'm honest, had I ever done one before this? No, I had not. You know, I've read the book, but have I ever really deeply studied it? And what I found in here it's deeply challenging. And I think for me, like, oh, as I was reading this book, like, I found myself really conflicted in writing this sermon. Because here's the thing, what I want to do is I want to then take, you know, okay, we're going to walk through something depressing. Now I'm going to turn it, spin it, make it happy. Here's why it's good and here's why it's okay. But I don't know if you noticed, we're stopping at verse 11. There was nothing happy. There was nothing positive in that. It was all negative. And, and so I think it's going to be important for us to just kind of of sit there. I think God gave us the book of Habakkuk for, for a reason. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to read it. I would even say, hey, you read it once a week, you'll read it four times this month. And it's probably four times than you've ever read it before. So like, you know, like, I don't know, I would encourage you, sit down, read the book of Habakkuk. Let it challenge you. Let its language seep in so that you have some of the same language to be able to speak to God. Because the book of Habakkuk is a question and answer session with God. The first two chapters are question and answer. Where, where Habakkuk goes and he says, God, why? God, how long? And God gives him an answer. And he doesn't like the answer. Spoiler for next week. He's not satisfied with the answer God gives, and he comes back and he goes, well, hold on a second. And God gives him another answer. And then in the end, there is praise. And we'll get there. You got to keep coming back every week if you want to get there, right? All right, this is like, this is my like trying to keep you coming back, right? Um, all right, but I want to encourage you, read it once a week. Let it sit like, look, the book of Habakkuk will take you about as much time as it takes you to eat a sandwich. So, hey, eat a sandwich and read the book of Habakkuk. Like, you, you, you'll be done. You have two things at once. Luke once talked about habit stacking. There you go. Habit stacking. Read the book of Habakkuk. Eat a sandwich. But you know what? At the same time as you eat your sandwich, do what God commanded Ezekiel. Do what God told John in the book of Revelation to do. Eat this book. 
Consume this book. Let it move and work and grind on you. Let it make you uncomfortable. Let it like wrestle with you about the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Your faith that you have in Christ, if you have faith, consume this bittersweet message and let it change your life. So as I said, in order to fully understand, I think, and receive the most benefit from this book, this morning is just going to be tough. Okay? But again, I think it's worth it. We're going to deep dive rather than just grasp for resolution. We need to let the book work. And this book is going to help us to understand how suffering and hardship form us. How suffering and hardship draw us nearer to God. And so we're going to sit in discomfort. We're going to sit in unresolved tension. And we're going to go. Now, that's like a really long introduction where I said a lot of the same things over. Because to be honest with you, I'm uncomfortable sitting in the unresolved tension. I've recognized that about myself all this week. Because as I've written this sermon, so many times I've kept coming back being like, I want to resolve the tension, I want to resolve the tension, and I've had to resist and say, no, we're not going to do that. So let's, let's just look at the book of Habakkuk as a whole, okay, and understand what's happening. Because again, sometimes context, if we don't understand the context, it can be hard to understand what's happening in the book. So Habakkuk starts off by saying, how long... O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery wherever I look? I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked's, wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that the justice has become perverted. And what we could do, what we could be tempted to do, is to say, oh man, I understand all those people out there that do all of those evil things, and you know, gosh, it's terrible that I have to live in a kind of world like that. Here's the problem. The people Habakkuk are talking about are God's people. It's the people in Israel. So if we want to make any kind of direct correlation, and we will later, then we probably need to look in here. And not just in here, but at the church as a whole. We need to look at the church and say, are there some problems there? Are there some issues? Like Habakkuk, are we lamenting? And we're, again, we're going to talk about this, but are we lamenting? Because this is the people of God that Habakkuk is talking about. And so he cries out in the beginning of the book. The way the New Living translates it is, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received. Some of your Bibles may say, this is the oracle. What's interesting is that word underneath really means burden. What Habakkuk is saying here is, this is the burden of my heart that the Lord has given me. I am coming to God with a burden. And that burden that I am bringing to the people and offering to say, let's lament together. There's a burden on his heart and it's because the people of Israel are not living in any way like God would have wanted them to live. So let's look historically for a moment. 609 BC, a date that means nothing to any of us except 
that it's the time that Josiah has been defeated, the king Josiah. Now, he was a good king. He's one of the few kings in the Old Testament that are that is said about them that they were good kings that loved God and brought reform. He was defeated in a battle by the Egyptians. The Egyptians now uh, installed his son as the king, but he's a puppet king. He's not a real king. He's, he's kind of under the thumb of the Egyptians, and he was evil. He was wicked. He, he did horrible, unspeakable things to his people. He enslaved his own people. But along with that, he brought in a new culture. He got rid of all the reforms, all the, all the working towards being like God, being with God, knowing God. Like all of those things that Josiah brought back in, the sacrifices in the temple, he was getting rid of all of that and being done with it and beginning to look more again like the culture around him. And as that culture was coming to be, there was more and more wickedness in Israel. And so this, his son, Jehoiakim, there's a fun name for him, Jehoiakim, neglected God's law. And we read that, right? He says, the law has become paralyzed. In other words, the law has become useless. Nobody pays any attention to it. Nobody cares about God's heart anymore. People are just living their own way. And so this, this cultural accommodation to Israel, has, this cultural accommodation to, to the Egyptian way of life, has allowed Israel to basically just culturally accommodate themselves to look like everybody else around them. And they're acting like everybody else around them. No compassion, no mercy. What do we see? Destruction and violence. We see misery. We see arguing and fighting. We see them looking just like the world around them. And this is what Habakkuk is lamenting. He sees the people who have power doing evil things. He sees then those evil people influencing other people to live in a way that does not glorify God, and he comes to God and he says, why? How long, God, are you going to let these evil people do things in your name that are evil? These wicked people do horrible, unspeakable things to other human beings, and they're going to do it standing up, acting as if they have God's approval to do it. And so here's the thing, I don't want us to skip forward and look at everybody else out there without acknowledging that the church has had its own set of problems. I mean, if you know anything about Ireland or have lived here very long, you know that's true. Now, I could stand up here and pick on the Catholic Church, that's easy. You know what I mean? Like, there's been enough stuff that's happened that I think everybody recognizes is terrible. That's easy. We could throw rocks at that house all day long. But here's the thing. We've got our own set of problems in the evangelical church in Ireland. Do you know in Galway a few years ago, there was a guy who uh, was a pastor who stole about 200,000 euro uh, worth of money, skipped town, and left the debt with the church. That happened. There's been abuse and things like that that have gone on. There's been all kinds of things that have happened. 
It's not just them over there. It's, it's in all the Christian churches in Ireland. It's in all the Christian churches. I mean, you think about in America, again, there's been scandal after scandal. I mean, there was a pastor who put out a hit on his son-in-law. I mean, we, again, this is why I think it's important. We don't skip over this part and look out there, but we look here as well. Verses two to three, as I said, describe how God's people were living and Habakkuk sees all of the evil that is happening inside of God's people. And he wants judgment. He cries for judgment. He cries for justice. And he says, God, do something about it. The problem is, is that he doesn't anticipate God's answer. You know, if we, if we were to like leave it in, in isolation, right? Verse five is like one of those, you know, you could put up on your, you know, your Instagram feed or, you know, you could paint as a picture on the wall there. You know, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Here's a basic thing for hermeneutics. That could be a great verse of the day for you, right? You could read that and you could be like, man, I feel great about today. And then you read the rest and Habakkuk is not feeling real great about this new thing that God's about to do, right? Because what's the new thing? I'm raising up the Babylonians. Or Chaldeans, your, your version may say, same group of people. The Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They'll march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs. They're fiercer than wolves at dusk. The charioteers charge from far away like eagles and swoop down to devour their prey. They're bent on violence. They advance like the desert wind. They sweep captives ahead uh, of them like sand. They scoff at the kings and princes and scorn at all their fortresses. They sweep like the wind and are gone. That doesn't sound to me like a great verse of the day anymore, does it? Verse 5. So Habakkuk comes to God, and he says, God, you need to do something about justice. There is horrible things happening within God's people, and it seems like you're just standing by and watching it. Why would you do that? Be who you say you are. Be just. And then God goes, yeah, okay. You know, when you look at verse 3, it's like Habakkuk accuses God of looking on and doing nothing, causing him to helplessly see evil. In verse 5, it's like God saying, no, okay, just look and see what I'm going to do. You don't really have any idea. In fact, if you want to get into the translation there, because here's the thing, Habakkuk is a poem, by the way. The whole, the whole book, the entire book is a, is a poem. So um, there's going to be some, some interesting metaphors, some artsy stuff, you know, artsy metaphors in there, like flowery language, all these kinds of things, word pictures, all of that. So, so here's something interesting. Habakkuk says, why do you make me look on all of these things? He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Or sorry, why must I, your translation may say, observe all of this misery. And then when we look at God's reply, he says, uh, look around the nations, look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in my own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if I told you about, sorry. Anyway, the New Living uh, kind of confuses this. But in any case, he says, see and observe what I'm about to do. And maybe your translation makes that a bit more 
clear if you're using a different translation. But he says, see and observe what I'm about to do. And so Habakkuk asks, why, God? And God gives him an answer. (laughs) But he doesn't necessarily answer the why question. He tells him what he's going to do, but he doesn't necessarily answer the why question. But what we see is Habakkuk prays, asking God to deliver his people. Habakkuk wants judgment against the evildoers, that God would, would deliver the faithful people. What he doesn't anticipate, as I said, is God's answer, that God would deliver the people and judge evil, but it would be through what Habakkuk sees as an even more evil people. And we're going to get into that next week. So next week, I don't want to steal Luke's thunder. Next week, that, that's going to come up where Habakkuk says, look, God, these people are even worse. I don't understand why you would use even more evil people to punish the evil people. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. But it, it's, what we see then, though, is it almost seems as if God is saying to the people, if you want to be evil, like the people around you, instead of being my faithful covenant people, then okay. I'll give you what you want. And I think one of the worst things that God can do for us sometimes is give us what we want. Because often what we want is not good. Like if I gave my kids what they wanted all the time, they'd all be dead. It's just the reality. Anybody who's had kids knows this is true. Like if you gave your kids what they wanted all the time, they wouldn't be alive anymore. Um, And the same was true if my parents had given me whatever I wanted. It's just like there are things that we don't understand. And sometimes God just says, okay, fine. If this is what you really want, then I will give it to you. And I think we find something like that happening here. You want to be like the people around you? You think they're so great? Fine. I'm going to take away the protection that I've been giving to you, and I'm going to allow them to come. And it's not going to be fun. It's what you think you want, but you don't want it. It's as if God says he's going to release his protection, his holding back the tide of oppression, and allow the chaos to overwhelm the people. And so, Habakkuk laments. Why is he going to suffer? Why is he suffering at the hands of the wicked? That's one of the questions Habakkuk is asking. Why, God? Why? And like Job, though, And this is interesting. There's a lot of parallels between the book of Habakkuk and the book of Job. You've got questions and answers. You've got a guy suffering who's trying to understand why he's suffering, right? And so he asks God why, and God doesn't really give him an answer. But God does give him a response. God does tell him what he's going to do. Why is he going to suffer then? And I think this is another question that comes up. Why then is Habakkuk going to suffer the consequences of of the wicked? Because Habakkuk is a righteous guy. He's a good guy. And yet here's going to come the Babylonians. They're going to take over. They're going to do unspeakable things. There are righteous people within Israel. Like Habakkuk mentions that. He talks about it in the plural. Like, hey, there are people who are good. Why Why are they going to be gathered up just like all the wicked, evil people? Again, the book of Habakkuk isn't going to give us necessarily an answer to that question. However, 
I think for those of us who live in an individualistic culture, it's incredibly hard for us to understand why God would allow something like that to happen. But I think we need to recognize that oftentimes consequences have collateral damage. The things that we do, the evil that we perpetrate does not just affect me. It affects other people and oftentimes it affects the innocent. We see that in our world all the time. Innocent people suffering because evil people do evil things. I told you we're not going to get a resolution today. <laughs> but these are hard questions. And they're questions that I have sometimes. That I'm sure you have sometimes. And what I want to do is say these are not bad questions. They're questions we need to process. And Habakkuk is going to process those questions. But he's going to process them in prayer. He's going to process them, coming, process them coming to God in prayer and, and talking to him. And we're going to talk about lament, but, but um, I think the first thing that we need to see as we begin to kind of situate ourselves a little bit better than into the story. So we've situated like the history and what's happening, what's going on. Probably spent too much time doing that, but now we're going to sit and we're going to say, let's situate ourselves in this and ask, where do we sit in this story? Where do you and I sit in this story? Well, I think it's important that we realize there are, there are three main things that I think we can take away from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, that help us to kind of live into this situation, like when we're in these places like where Habakkuk is. And the first thing is this, we need to make sure that we're looking to God in faith. So Habakkuk, one of the things that we see is that Habakkuk doesn't lack faith. You could read what he says and you could almost take it as like, oh, he must be doubting. He must be lacking faith. He must not really believe. He's really struggling. I don't think Habakkuk is struggling in his belief in God and his faith in God. Where he's struggling is that he sees, he's like, I believe in this God who says that he is just and kind and faithful, that in Exodus chapter 32 says he is compassionate and slow to anger, that he is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And then he says, but what I am experiencing right now doesn't seem to compute. And so I believe I've got the faith to believe that God has the power to change things. He has the faith. He believes that God is in control. He believes that God has the power. But he struggles to see why God isn't using it. And maybe you guys have been there. I think it's important for us to see Habakkuk here is not necessarily doubting God's existence. But he doesn't understand why God isn't working. Why God isn't moving. And I think this is healthy for those of us as Christians. So like Habakkuk, we need to look to God in faith. When we're in these moments of struggle, when we're in these times of difficulty where everything just seems to like, I don't get it. The first thing we need to do is we need to come to God in faith. Understand that Habakkuk comes in faith. He exposes how faith then, I think, shapes the human response to God when faced with suffering. You see, Habakkuk doesn't in faith just go, well, whatever. And I don't think we see that throughout the Old Testament. You guys, when we read the Bible, we don't see people just kind of going like, well, 
Evil, okay. We find people passionately coming before God, passionately talking to him on their behalf, on his, on, like passionately coming to God and saying, because of who you are, do something about this. Sometimes I think we're too timid to pray these kinds of prayers that we see throughout the Bible of people coming to God and saying, God, do something about this. This is wrong. Because we somehow have bought into this idea that we just need to be like, ho-hum, everything is wonderful, everything is happy. When the reality of the world around us is anything but that sometimes. And it's okay to come before God, to petition God on behalf of who, because of who he is. And so Habakkuk realizes that God is the only one with the power to do something about the injustice that he is experiencing, that he sees. He comes to God in faithful trust, calling on God to act. And here's my, here's my horse. I'm just going to beat for a second. Too, too many people. I have seen too many people. When the church is shown to be hypocritical, when people in the church are shown to be hypocritical, because it happens all the time. Again, I mentioned a few moments. I don't have to go into this. You know the church has been shown often. And I say that again, all across denominations, I'm not picking on one, has been shown to be hypocritical. And too often what I've seen people do is, because that person did that, I can't believe in God. I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I'm walking away. That's not what Habakkuk does. And that's not what you and I should do either. Too many people see corruption in the church and hypocrisy and use it as a reason to give up on their faith, to give up on church. But Habakkuk doesn't see it that way. He continues as a faithful follower of God, crying out to God to do something about the injustice that is there. And I think you and I, when it comes to church, when we see people living hypocritically, it's not an excuse to leave the church. It's an excuse to press harder into God and to say, God, do something about this. Like when I, when I hear of pastors in America getting out, put, you know, putting out hits on their, on their son-in-law, or when I hear about pastors you know, running off with, their, with somebody else's wife, or I hear about pastors uh, you know, extort, you know, extorting money or abusing people, or I hear people who are volunteers in the church abusing people, or family, you know, people with family members who do horrible things and yet stand in church as if they're a wonderful person. I'm not going to walk away from the faith. Instead, I'm going to push into that and say, God, do something about this. Vindicate your name. It is not just an offense against that person. It is not just an offense against you. It is an offense against God, and it is okay to push into that and to ask God to do something about it. When there is sin and corruption in the church, it's not a time to back away. Our faith is not based on some pastor of a church of 20,000 who does something horrible or a pastor of a church of 20 who does something horrible. Our faith is in Christ and the finished work that he has done on the cross. And so we lament. So we look to God in faith and then we lament. We lament, I think specifically here as we talk about lament, we lament over the sin of God's people. Now, what, what is lament? Because that's a word we've been using, like, you know, what is lament? 
lament is this idea of, so here, we'll just go to the next slide. Lament is not complaining about God. Lament is complaining to God. Right? So God gets really angry at the people of Israel when they're complaining about him. Right? They grumble in the wilderness and God says, fine, you're going to stay. You're not going. You're going to stay there. Stop grumbling. Right? They grumble in the wilderness. God gets angry at them. But does God get angry at Habakkuk? No. He isn't complaining about God. He's complaining to God. And I think that's a really important distinction when it comes to the difference between just complaining and grumbling and lament. Lament is going to the person and it's calling them to do something about it, calling them to action. It's going to the source. It's not talking to somebody else about somebody. It is going to the source and saying, do something about this. And so just quickly, because I realized like so far, this has been a fairly heavy sermon. We're going to take a break and I'm going to give you a modern day lament. I don't know if you've ever heard this, though. There was a guy riding on a Continental Airlines flight, and he was in seat 22E, or sorry, 29E. And he wrote this lament to Continental Airlines. He didn't just complain about it. In fact, it was actually somebody from Continental Airlines that like leaked the email, or like leaked the message. It was actually a letter that he wrote to Continental Airlines. And here's what he says about seat, his trip in seat 29E. I am disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I'm having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircraft. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's difficult to say that the worst part about what the worst part of sitting in 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that's blown all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? Or is it the passengers' bums that seem to fit into my personal space like a pornographic jigsaw puzzle? I constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of a blanket into the overhead compartment while effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a small bit of privacy, the bum on my body factor has increased as without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanketed wall. The next bum that touches my shoulder will be the last. I am picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats onto this plane by putting them next to the laboratory. And he actually drew a picture. Um, I would like to flush his head in the toilet that I'm close enough to touch and taste from my seat. Putting a seat here was a very bad idea. So I just heard a man groan in there. <laughs> and then he, um, sorry, there's more pictures. Uh, worse yet is I've paid over $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. Does your company give refunds? I'd like to go back where I came from and start over. <laughs> seat 29E could only be worse if it was located inside the bathroom. I wonder if my clothing will retain the sanitizing odor. What about my hair? I feel like I'm bathing in a toilet bowl of blue liquid and there is no man in a little boat to save me. I am filled with a deep hatred for your plane designer and a general dis-ease that, that may last forever. 
We are finally descending, and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield, but the scars will remain. I suggest that you initiate immediate removal of this seat from all of your crafts. Just remove it and leave the smoldering brown hole empty. A good place for sturdy, non-absorbing luggage, maybe, but not human cargo. That is a lament, right? That is a modern-day lament. I have, like, I'm like, that is, like, it's just, it's, there's something of beauty about that lament. That, like, he wrote that, like, as a complaint. Anyway, I'd like to meet that guy and shake his hand and apologize to him at the same time. But, like, I hope, like, I hope that kind of helps you to understand what a lament is. Right? It's, it's coming to somebody and saying, here's a problem. Do something about it. And you and I can go to God and bring him a problem and ask him to do something about it. To call on him to do something about it. Lament, as I said, is not complaining about God. It is complaining to God. And this is a big difference. This idea of how long and why are common prayers in the Bible. I don't know if any of you guys, so the 10 at 10 exists. That thing is still going on, if any of you were wondering. Where I go through a psalm every Tuesday for roughly 10 minutes. Depends on how long the psalm is. And like, how many of them have been songs of lament? Because this is a common theme in the Bible we just don't talk about. How long and why are common questions in the psalms. There, we find them over and over in the Bible. And so we need to be okay with using this kind of language too. It is good and it is right to lament. Because suffering and hardship, I think, bring about a form of spiritual formation that is only possible in our most difficult moments. So you and I, we generally want to skip past this as quickly as possible, right? We want to jump into like happiness, joy, growing in Christ, all those sorts of things. We want to jump out of the difficulty, out of the pain, and into happiness. But there is a certain type of spiritual formation. And if you've known somebody who's gone through great suffering and come out the other side, then you know there is a faith that is built in times of suffering that is incredible, that cannot be found in our moments of joy and praise, which is something I think our churches are addicted to. Not that it's bad to do those things, but we can't short-circuit and bypass lament. This deep type of spiritual formation is worked in us through suffering and trial. And it doesn't mean we go looking for suffering and trial, but when it comes, we allow it to do its work and we call out to God, we lament. And so Habakkuk laments about the faithfulness of the leaders of God's people. And it left me with the question then, do you and I lament the sin within the church? Do we lament the sin within the church? I think we should. See, often I think we lament the sin, and as I think I've said this a dozen times now, we lament the sin of people out there. We need to lament the sin of what happens within the church. That should grieve us deeply like it grieves Habakkuk. Do we ask God why? Do we ask God how long? Or are we content to sit back and just be complicit participants? Are we lamenting the failure of the church to live as God's people? Are we living as a remnant 
or do we look like the world around us? I think these are all really important questions. We need to be lamenting the sin in the church. We need to grieve. It should hurt our hearts to know there are people that do evil things in the name of God. And like Habakkuk, we should lament that. And as a general thing, we should just lament in general when we're in those times. I had a professor, um, and we're about to move on, we're about to get towards the end here, but I had a professor um, during, during my master's, a guy, David Smith, and he's actually written a book on lament. It's really interesting. And one of the things that he, he told me was, was he was saying, in the church, we are addicted to happy songs. <laughs> we're addicted to, to kind of pushing aside pain and only focusing on happy and good times. And he says, he, he was saying, when my wife died, he said, I went to church and there was nothing for me. He said, all of the songs were happy and joyous and I hurt. And guys, you and I may feel fine right now, but there may be people who don't. And we need to be willing to lament with people, to walk with people through pain and through difficulty. And when we're in those places, we need to be willing to lament. We need to be people who don't just say, well, feel better soon, or I'll pray for you, now leave me alone, you know, when somebody's hurting, but actually listen, care, and respond. And so here's the final thing that we need to do that I think we, we learn in this is Habakkuk, he, he, he looks to God in faith. I'm not usually like a 3L type person, but hey, we're going to do it today. So he, he, listens to, or he looks to God in faith, he laments, and then he listens. He listens to God. He allows God to respond. And I think there's an important question that are we prepared to hear a response from God that we don't like? Should God just do what we want him to do always and forever? Like, does God get to be God? Or does he need to just do whatever we tell him to do? Like, are we prepared for an answer that we don't want? I think that's an important question. Because that's what Habakkuk gets. He gets an answer he doesn't like. The Babylonians are going to come, and they're terrible people, and they're going to do terrible things. And they're going to take over the culture, and lots and lots of people are going to get into even more cultural accommodation. People are going to become just like the Babylonians. There's going to be a lot of trouble, a lot of difficulty, a lot of things that are going to happen, and he doesn't like it. But we need to be prepared to listen and not just talk at him. And I think this is an important question then for us to ask. Are we listening to God or are we just talking at him? I say that because you who know me and are experiencing right now, I have no problem talking a lot. In fact, I just have given you a giant monologue <laughs> where I've just sat here and talked. It's not a problem for me and I can carry that into my prayer life. If I'm not careful, I won't listen. I'll just monologue to God. Because apparently I love the sound of my own voice. I don't know. Like, you know, and, and so it's important that we listen. Prayer and listening are core spiritual practices that you and I need to bring into our lives. And so we need to look to God in faith. We need to lament over sin. We need to listen to God. So we come to God in prayer and we listen and wait for an answer. 
Now, here's, here's where we finish. Habakkuk says in verse 4 that the law of God has become paralyzed. In other words, people are so busy listening to other voices and doing what they want that the law of God no longer matters. Now, law, that's the word Torah. It means instruction. Don't think of it like penal laws, you know, or something like that. Don't think of it like necessarily just as the Ten Commandments. It is the instructions of God for how to live life, how it is best lived. And he says that because people are going their own way, they're leaving God, they're running away from God, the law of God is the instructions of God. Nobody cares. It's not useful anymore because nobody listens to it. So I think the way back for you and I It's through, the way back is to accept the grace of God. The grace of God that has been given to you and me in Jesus. To renew our commitment to his ways and to his instruction. And so I think if we want to find any kind of peace, and that's ultimately what Habakkuk is going to find, but if we want to find any peace, if we want to be able to handle these situations of deep darkness, it comes through faith. Perhaps even faith in the darkness. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that was dumb. But anyway, like, guys, I'm an idiot. That's okay. Um, anyway, it's going to come through faith in the trials, and it's going to be built through that. Paul actually references this passage in Acts 13.41. He he's begging the people in Antioch to accept Jesus. And God, he says, has done something unexpected in a different way, and he desires for all of us to come and to find life in the one who gives life, to trust in him, even through the difficult times, to not lose heart when things are tough, but rather to come in faith and to call on God. We're called to leave behind a life of corruption. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't experience the consequences of sin in this world. Not until Jesus returns will that be over. But we can enjoy this other new thing that God has done in sending Jesus, even in the difficult times. Now, that was a lot. I don't know if you could tell it was like difficult for me. Um, <laughs> not the smoothest. Um, but it's because, honestly, guys, like, I want to resolve that tension, but I feel like we need, we need to sit in it. But as we come to communion, like we come to that time, I think we realize as we take communion that God can be trusted. That I can look to him in faith because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. Because he gave, he was willing to come, to enter into humanity and to give his life for you and me. We can, we can get through anything. Even when we don't understand. We can lament. And we can lament in faith, like Jesus on the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? Right? And because Jesus was forsaken, we are welcome at the feet of Jesus, at the feet, into God's kingdom. And so as we take communion, we remember that. And so, like, if you guys have any questions, I've, I've probably thought too much <laughs> about this book over the last two weeks. Um, and things like, I'd be happy to kind of walk through stuff with you if I didn't make things super clear or, uh, you know, wasn't super helpful or, or something. But uh, 
But yeah, like I said, read the book, let it work, and let's take communion together and, and worship together. So let's pray.